Alexa, what is diet culture? Here's something I found on the web. According to thriveglobal.com, diet culture is a set of beliefs that worship thinness and particular body shapes. This is Dr. Aaron Nitschke. This is Dr. Darian Parker. This is Decoding Diet Culture. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Decoding Diet Culture. In this season, season two, we are looking at different fad diets and different dietary eating approaches, presenting the history, marketed purpose, benefits, summarizing the protocol or what this what these diets really include, and then giving you some questions to think about and some various resources to check out if you're interested in finding out more information and getting legitimate guidance. So basically cautioning everyone not to follow the half-naked fitness influencer trying to tell you that you can only eat between certain hours of the day. So with intermittent fasting, depending on who you talk to or what sources you read, Intermittent fasting or IF started to gain popularity in the early 2000s, but it really has been studied for a greater period of time. In the 1940s, IF was studied in mice and results of those early studies seemed promising and it seemed to indicate that IF could extend the life of mice. But again, these are mice and their physiology is different. Their lifespan is different. Everything is different about them. So when looking at the, that research, yes, super promising, but at the same time, not translatable necessarily to human life. But there are studies that have examined and continue to examine the potential positive benefits of IF on cellular levels and disease processes. But again, we have to proceed with caution because this is developing research. There are still some questions to answer. Nothing is definitive and there's no, no common ground or conclusive results that say, yes, you should do this. So definitely check out resources like PubMed or Google Scholar or any library data database, such as your local library or community college, university libraries for that quality research. And just, just to educate yourself a little bit more on it. So with fasting, it's really not a brand new thing. It can be seen in different cultures and religious practices. Think back to caveman days. Uh, or Paleolithic times, when there was this extreme need to hunt for food consistently. There was no way to preserve food. There was no way to prepare food necessarily. And there were no grocery stores and ag agriculture was not necessarily uh, a thing. So there were times when food simply was scarce and not available and people had no choice but to fast. But fasting is also a practice in different religions for various reasons. Uh, and we can see this in Islamic cultures, Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism. So it's kind of interesting to look at the reasons why fasting is practiced. So it's really not new in, in terms of being a practice. It is semi-new in terms of using it to reduce or restrict caloric intake for the purpose of losing body weight. So part of the fascination with IF is the research with animals that did show fasting may, keyword may, reduce cancer risk and slow the aging process and, and a number of other things. But 
again, not conclusive. So looking at how IF is marketed and its purported benefits. So IF on the whole is less about what you eat and more about when you eat. So it is an eating pattern that cycles between periods of fasting and eating and basically closing the window of when you will eat to a restricted time frame. There are some commercial companies that have taken advantage of the popularity of IF and have marketed prepackaged meals, but the price point of those meals is super expensive. Um, about $300 a week for food, which, which is cost prohibitive for many. When it comes to the protocol and, and how IF is done, it, it very much depends on the source. There are different protocols and methods. So just to give you a couple of examples, the 16-8 method seems to be the most popular. It's called lean gains, and it involves skipping breakfast, which I really could never do. And restricting eating to a period of eight hours. So for example, like one to 9 PM or 12 to 8 PM, then you'd fast for 16 hours after that. And if you think about that, if sleep is seven to eight hours, you're obviously fasting during that time. And then another eight to potentially nine hours before you take in food, the eat, stop, eat method involves fasting for 24 hours, a couple of times a week, or maybe even once a week. Then there's the five, two diet, which includes consuming about five to 600 calories in two non-consecutive days of the week. So it would be like Monday, Wednesday, or Tuesday, Thursday, but then eating normally on other days of the week. There are other protocols that are really far more dangerous because they extend the fasting period for 36, 48, 72 hours without any better outcome, but they could lead to other issues. And it actually could encourage the body to store fat instead of burn it, which is one of the reasons IF is marketed the way that it is because, well, people want to burn fat, right? So some considerations, faults, and flaws to think about. So let's look at just briefly some of the research. So there was a study that when examining 12 clinical trials, comparing groups that were fasting with a continuous calorie restriction group, there was no significant difference in weight loss or body composition changes. And that's important. Weight loss is different than body composition changes. Weight loss can include metabolic water, all sorts of things like that. It can, it can actually include lean tissue. It does not always include fat mass. So weight loss and fat mass or fat loss are different things. So this begs the question, if there was no significant difference between just consistently restricting calories and the fasting group, then why do intermittent fasting? Research has also identified some nutrient deficiencies and concerns that consumers need to be wary of. So for example, intermittent fasting can present glycemic management challenges for people on insulin. There's also a concern about the extreme self-restriction and taking in an inadequate number of calories to support any physical activity habits that somebody has. And then how does IF impact those who are taking medication that require food to be taken along with that medication? That's an important question to ask. And further, the body can take up to two weeks to become accustomed to IF, which means you could feel weak, cranky, hungry, frustrated, frustrated cognitively confused and unfocused. 
so a number of side effects there and concerns for diabetics or people who take medications for blood pressure or heart disease, or those who may be prone to electrolyte imbalances from fasting should not engage with this plan at all. And then of course, there's the question of sustainability for many, while others may find a benefit on their diet psychology. So according to the director of the department of nutrition at Brigham and women's hospital in Boston, she's seen patients feel strongly about not wanting to track calories. So they found benefit in the consistency and patterning of eating intermittent fasting. But that can also be handled in some different ways versus like promoting the fasting side of things. And as I mentioned, it can be expensive if you're using prepackaged commercialized food services and the accessibility of those is a question for many. So what are the bottom lines take homes? So all protocols really have the ability to reduce caloric intake, which of course can elicit weight loss. However, some protocols are really difficult to sustain. So those who seem to lean into the IF pattern tend to go for the 16-8 protocol. But the question is, is this going to work better than simply watching caloric intake and engaging in mindful movement and in, in increasing the neat movement throughout the day, that non-exercise activity thermogenesis. And at this point, there's really no strong evidence that fasting is going to add any health benefits beyond any other weight loss strategy. And one of the things with, with IF, because it has been studied, I have a really good friend and colleague, Cassie Christopher, and her uh, information is in our show notes, but she is a registered dietitian. And I had a chance to just visit with her a little bit about her perspectives on IF and what she has seen. And she shared some really, really intriguing things. So research shows that this type of self-initiated dieting, especially in, in combination with these unhealthy weight control behaviors, like think about like using diuretics or diet pills, binging and purging, anything like that is going to increase the risk for both long-term weight gain and eating disorder symptoms and the onset of eating disorders, which is not something that we want. And Cassie also cautions consumers that diets like keto and IF are kind of poster children or examples of this all or nothing approach. And this often leads us to stop trusting our bodies. And we then feel unsafe or disconnected from our bodies and emotions. And these two approaches truly do not prioritize emotional health, behavior change, or one's relationship with food, which is why they can both be so, so dangerous. And we talk about keto in another episode. So really the biggest take home as with all of these episodes we've included is it's always, always best to check with your primary care provider or a registered dietitian like Cassie before making serious alterations to your dietary practices, especially if this means doing extreme caloric restriction, because there are severe consequences in both the short and long-term. And if you're not aware of them, it can, it can turn into this pretty slippery slope. So we hope this episode has been helpful and we will catch you next time on another episode of decoding diet culture.